Taste it. Hey, what's on your plate? Is it good? Is it great? Come on, don't hesitate. Sit on down with the Angoja food and when you're cooking at home, wanna set the right tone? Just pick up the phone. Sit down down with the Angoja food and. St. Paul, Twin Cities. Thank you so, so much for being here with us this morning. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that uh, I have an opportunity to kind of get the mic situation fixed out because right. last week was just... Anyway, uh, we are uh, here definitely in the booth. And, that we are. Yeah, and we are. we're glad to be here, of course. Sorry about that. Okay, so uh, I am here, you know, as you know, your food. I, I was gonna say food guru. I don't want. I'm not a food guru. Uh, I am your food host, <laughs> your food foodie show host, uh, Wesley Wright. I am with my. Uh, I got my sidekick, Chicken Wing. I suppose I don't know. We gotta still try to figure out a name for him or whatever. Anyway, my nephew RJ is here as my co-host. Uh, and he, if you don't already know, will be a, a, a regular fixture. So, you know, if you know him, you could send him a shout out or whatever. Anyway, uh, send him a message and tell him, hey, congratulations. You know. And if you don't know me, you are always welcome to call in and ask some questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, gosh, it's a, you know, it's a little snowy out there. And not even really. It was just kind of like flurries, I suppose. Yeah. But more importantly, we're going to be talking about food because uh, this is a food show and that's what you came to hear. So sit back, have your cup of coffee. Uh, someone in here is also having their cup of coffee. Yes, yes. Uh, I, our topics that I want to talk about are, uh, it's kind of personal. Uh, I, I'm just going to start off with that at hitting one that we were having a conversation about. All right. Um, but first and foremost, I want to encourage you, if you've never, if you're not familiar with the Unbuji Foodie, definitely go to my my website, or I invite you to go to my website, which is www.theunbujifoodie.com. You'll be able to see past um, writing articles that I've, uh, I've written or submitted for a community newspaper. But also, more importantly, is that you'll have an opportunity to um, get caught up on episodes that we've recorded our shows are live uh, so we do record them though so that you can always stay caught up and know what topics we've talked about or maybe what's coming up for uh, the next episode so um, social media of course will be 
the Ambuji Foodie for Facebook. Uh, the underscore Ambuji Foodie would be for Instagram. And then lastly, it will be at Ambuji Foodie for Twitter. Uh, you got to get you some social media unless you have your own. But yeah, I, think um, probably, I don't really. Probably for the show, we're going to have to try to work that out and, right. and figure you know, what that is because you know, you're going to be a. So I can a, have some plugs. Uh, well, permanent <laughs> fixture, and you know, if folks want to probably comment to you, and if they want to, you know, be on Facebook, and they are asking you questions while we're here in the booth, that would be great. So that you know, if you, hey, we have a question, we have mm-hmm. a comment, or something. Like yeah, that. of course, we'll, so, we'll get we'll, that all set up, and we'll be all uh, set to go on that front by by next week. Yeah, look at you, just ready, ready to rock and roll. Anyway. Um, we were talking on a very, very serious subject, um, and as you all probably know, uh, our current administration is looking to actually take people off of, uh, I, I, I want to say public assistance, but uh, food assistance programs. Um, yeah, so... I. I want to be able to provide the correct information uh, on that. So I'm also just kind of like viewing some information as well. But I I feel like I want to have, uh, I will have, not I feel like I want to have, I will have a personal conversation about this. So I want to invite you to also call in. I would love to hear your viewpoint on this subject uh, with our current administration ending food assistance for close to what nearly 700,000 people uh whatever comments that you have please feel free to give us a call here it's 651 I can't give out my personal phone number 651 um I really want to fi- I would love to find out what your thoughts are about that subject and I'm just going to be really, it's going to be very a very personal day, put it that way, because when I was younger, um, without putting my family business out in the streets, um, yeah, I was on, you know, my family, we were on public assistance, uh, you know, with four kids, um, my parents, or at one point, um, they were, it was seemed to be like my mother was putting a little bit more yeah, the, effort than he put the financial it. support was a tad asymmetrical. Uh, right, exactly. Let me put it that way. So to help, um, you know, with, you know, paying bills, putting food on the table, um, you know, that was applied for. And we had the, uh, the opportunity to have, I don't know, um, Food. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sorry, I'm putting it for so lightly or, or not really trying to make it comical or anything, but it's just, you know, sometimes you have to do what you have to do. And at that time, you know, it was, it really was a stigma. It was something that, uh, it was something that, you know, if you go to school and you yeah. talked about, well, you, it was something you never talked about because your parents never wanted you 
to one to feel bad but also for anyone to judge you or the family for doing what you had to do to have food or to be able to pay bills or whatnot but um you know all through i would say maybe through high school um that probably was the case um and you know as you the process if i recall correctly is you know as you as each child or they consider children um however many children that you have um that and, and of course your financial um or economic status or whatever or that it was um that would help determine how much you were actually getting per month uh and as far as i'm aware, as far as i'm aware i think that that's the the same stipulation that's right what, what i was getting at is that as a child gets older uh they are then taken off of that program and so it's the remaining children that still have the opportunity to you know take advantage i mean through their parents so they have that program available to them so each month or each year or whatever you know there would be some type of determination um, that would say okay for this month then you would get a certain dollar amount mm-hmm. um, and as you know each year went by there was a reevaluating of the entire family and the funds or the money that they were able to their financial um, situation that was then reevaluated once again that would you know, at the beginning of the year or end of the year, they would say, okay, well, then you would be eligible for this amount per month or something. Mm, and, okay, okay. and so uh, with that reevaluation, it means that, you know, at, you know, is this child 18 or 16 or whatever the case is, it, then they would fall off and then they would reevaluate your whole entire financial situation once again. Uh, and then, um, you know, Okay, that that's three children plus a, a single parent, mm-hmm. and you know they might give a little bit more, whatever the case is. Um, it, I was in California, so if California or, or other states are different, or maybe it was different here within the state of Minnesota or elsewhere, I can only speak about California. Um, and so, as each child got older, you know, he would get less money, mm-hmm. um, and then and not just less money because it was that financial assistance, but also food assistance, which would be in the form of food stamps. Mm-hmm. So I say all that um, because as I, you know, I think it was probably, what was it? I think I was 30. Um, I'm going to say my age. It really doesn't matter right now. Um, I'm 50 now, but when I was about, 32, actually 32 or 33, um, I have came into a situation where I, I, I suppose I'm just going to say I was homeless. <laughs> because, no, I mean, honestly, I yeah. mean, I had an apartment, uh, a situation happened with a, a, a roommate or whatever, and I went out for a job, came back from the job, and everything was gone. And that's this is not a pity party or whatever. I'm getting to my point, but when I went to you know that was in Los Angeles when I went to um, Las Vegas to live with my sister, um, I wasn't just going. I was looking for jobs. I really was looking for jobs. I mean, it was oh gosh, you know, it was the hardest thing. You know, when you didn't have 
you know, your car or all these different things. Um, I had to go on public assistance. And it was never my intention of, oh, well, I'm here in Vegas. And if they're going to give me money or if they're going to give me right. uh, food stamps. It, but even then, it wasn't to a level of, oh, I'm going to be able to pay my bills and just kind of like relax or mm-hmm. something like that. Even the, the, the food assistance that they gave me was kind of like they took into consideration that. Uh, you're a grown man. <laughs> uh, how come you don't have a job? And literally, they would be not really calling you, but they would be expecting you to provide them. Did you look for a job today? I mean, like unemployment mm-hmm. um, actually does. But in this instance, it you literally had to go down to this office and sit there in that waiting room and fortunately, uh, it was a one bus. Was it a bus ride or was it? Did I have to walk? I can't remember. But it was very nearby the house. And I just figured, I'm just going to walk. During that time period, it was a contemplative time period of each and every time when I had to go down to that office and, and sit there. And I'm like, I have to find a job. I have to find a job. It, it, it was not me wanting to lay back on my laurels or say you know I, I'm good with you know getting this public assistance mm-hmm. on the other hand though so my long, long story short or whatever you know I quickly as soon as I found something possible to get off of public assistance is what I did uh, but we as we were talking about today you had the kind of like opposite type mm-hmm. of thought process. No, not you personally, but I'm just saying what other folks might feel. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to share that with folks? Um, yeah, yeah. We were we were discussing a little bit that in in contrary to how you were saying, you know, the second you you found a job and you found some type of means to get off of public assistance, there's a lot of people, many who we know, <laughs> who you know that's that's their lifestyle they're they're content with that's how they get grocery money they're not um they're not really making any any strides to get a job or be self-sufficient and um unfortunately those individuals are part of what contributes to the stigma of public assistance in the first place right. you know it's it was a, it's a program designed to help people who are you know having a hard time and let them still be able to take care of their families until those times have passed. It's And so, but many people have taken advantage of how it's set up and they found loopholes to, you know, stay on that uh, system for way longer than you're supposed to. Or even to use it for ways that it was not meant for. Exactly. Which, you know, again, being way too personal uh, to a certain extent, um, sometimes all you had was food stamps. And so there would be some <sighs> shady individual that, I mean, you know, come on, I'm, I'm being honest here. It's true. Um, where, you know, their stat, as soon as you come out of, and I'm talking about way back in the day, y'all. So if you, if you know what I'm talking about, you know, food stamps actually came in booklets. I mean, 
the one the one dollar bills were or paper were were brown you know the i think ones fives tens and i think 20s is what it came in for certain but that's how you would pay for your food and then you know if there were other things like toilet paper or whatever the case is that were not considered food items then you would pay cash um for it but here you know folks would be, you know i need to pay a bill I, I mean that you can't use food stamps to pay you know your rent a car note maybe some insurance or something like that and you're like okay well i'd rather and even that right there i mean you're taking away money from buying food to be able to pay a bill that i mean is something that is truly needed you know what i mean i mean your light bill your gas bill um buying maybe some shoes because your your kids don't have a pair of shoes or something like that but you're doing the quote-unquote things that you need to do to be to make to survive let me put it that way um i want to kind of yeah it's kind of we're talking on a very serious subject uh, you know right now and again i hope that you would have maybe a viewpoint and that you would like to share or maybe a comment um, but please feel free to do that uh, by calling in to 651-200-3479. Again, 651-200-3479. Um, the topic that we're talking on at the moment is um, the current uh, White House administration is actually, uh, you know, there's a, going to be a change in the program. And specifically, it's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or the SNAP program um, that, uh, you know, in December it was announced that it was going to be changing like work, inquire, work requirements um, and it will, and I'm reading this number here, the project will cut 688,000 people off of benefit commonly known as food stamps. Um, this change applies to able-bodied adults between the between the ages of 18 and 49 without dependents. Um, but there has been conversations with well, what happens to uh, individuals that with mental health or some other type of ailment that you know from the outside someone could say, well, you seem to you be able-bodied, can't you work? And then right? Not knowing the entirety of the situation. Right. I'm on medication, I'm on this, you know, I have maybe social security at an early age, whatever the case is, mm -hmm. but, you know, still, we, we don't know what those things are, but if you want to find out more information on that, definitely, um, you know, it's important for you to do your own, own research. We could talk about it all, you know, how all day yeah uh, but at the end of the day whatever uh information we look up it'll be it'll be filtered through our own experiences and our own perception it, so f please by all means i encourage you do your own research and uh look at this from your own point of view and exactly. come up with your own conclusions exactly very much so um very good point um i was just reading that it said that here's how the um you know, people of color are likely to lose benefits disproportionately under the rule, given their much higher unemployment rates and continued racial discrimination in labor markets. The African-American unemployment rate has long been roughly double the non-Hispanic or, or white um, unemployment rate. 
Studies have found that white job applicants are more, much more likely to receive callbacks after job applicants applications uh, or interviews uh, than equally qualified black uh, applicants. So, you know, in my just in a day-to-day -day process uh, or living, you know, we hear folks talk about, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. and, and equity and how it really applies and where does it really apply? Well, here's a great example, you know, where uh, people of color are at, they don't have, there's that equality or that equity that they don't have. They don't have the opportunities of being called back as much as a person that is not a person of color. Yeah. You know, because, and it, right there, they made it, at the, it stated at the end, this is the you know, part of a study you know, that I'm reading from, of course. Um, they were saying that that the uh, the person that is uh, African American or black uh, applicant is just as equally qualified as a white individual. Mm -hmm. So, of course, that person that is a person of color or black, um, male or female or families, they this change this whatever you want to call it because it could be some other words that you can find that are very colorful um, <laughs> are is going to affect those folks. Mm. Um and you're probably thinking, well, how? You know, well, under the new rule, uh, again, giving some insight on what this change is and how it's going to change, what how it's going to affect maybe your personal family or you know folks within the community. Uh, under the new rule, it states that an area can qualify for waiver only if it's an average unemployment rate over a recent 24-month period. Um, so. They're going to look within, you know, the communities and try to figure out, okay, well, uh, what's going to happen or what has been happening uh, in the unemployment rate for, uh, let's just say, the Twin Cities or East St. Paul or, you know, and they'll make those necessary changes based upon the national average. Mm -hmm. And already that's kind of like at a bell curve because, you know, definitely, certain definitely so. areas are affected more by unemployment than other areas, even mm -hmm. though, okay, we could be in the Twin Cities and, and whatnot, but, uh, you know, the east side mm -hmm. might suffer a little bit more about unemployment or yeah. there might be folks that are having difficulty finding jobs that are on the east side. Um, other than folks that are in Minneapolis or St. Paul, and even though we're not that far away, it's a big difference. It's a huge. And difference. whenever you you make uh, any type of decision uh, for a large group of people based on you know uh, uh, national n average nat national averages, it it always tends to to disenfranchise a bunch of people who it wouldn't have affected otherwise just because like you said it's on a really steep bell curve and you know from one area to the other these numbers can change drastically right and affect the the um the numbers in the average exactly you know one of the last things that it mentioned and and remember i said that it, uh, in the early in my early ages <laughs> um you know they always wanted to reassess what someone's yeah. Uh, financial situation was or I think they were doing it more about financials more than anything rather than looking at a person's 
physical capability to be able to get out and do a job. Mm -hmm. Here it says in the, uh, the statement um, that the USDA um, stated that uh, states are required to assess each person's fitness for work and states have the responsibility to help connect per participants to work support. Um, states also continue to have their ability to provide discretionary exceptions to individuals who are having difficulty entering or staying in the workforce. So, unfortunately, I, I haven't really seen that uh, where, you know, you see a, a state, a city, you know, really step up and try to work with a, a person or m connect them to um, workspaces that are here's a place where we can you know that can hire you or that yeah. with your skills or whatnot um, I, and maybe I am personally <clears throat> at a disadvantage because I'm not really out in the community per se looking at those type of um, analytics or those statistics mm -hmm. uh, about unemployment and where they are, what the city, um, either the city of St. Paul or you know, many, just Twin Cities overall, is doing to help with the unemployment rate. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that would be something that would be uh, interesting to find out. Mm -hmm. um, because when we're looking at this here, we're we're seeing that. And being that this is a food show, this affects how people are going to be able to get food. Definitely you know? so. And even more so, I, I, it's important to think that um, you have to educate yourself in reference to, okay, I need to go out and I'm having some type of difficulty, reach out to a, a specific organization that would be offering something that would say, okay, well, we want to put you in the work in the mm -hmm. workplace and make sure that you are definitely making being motivated uh, and encouraged to make the effort to go out and, uh, if possible, find a job. Um, but see, that's easy for me to mm -hmm. say. Yeah, you know? and I'm willing to play devil's advocate and say that even though you know this change is going to negatively impact a lot of uh, a lot of families <laughs> and a lot of people. From the sounds of the article, it at least sounds like with all these sweeping changes, they're also trying to not to not needlessly dispossess people who who really need it. No, they're taking. So I'll, you know, like I said, I'll play devil's advocate and say that at least it sounds like, <clears throat> excuse me, that they're trying to to not just you know scorched earth, no food stamps for you by right. You know, they're trying to take the time to, uh, like I said, assess people's fitness to work and if they can find them some, some type of employment and then proceed after that. Yes. But it's big government and that the government's never really good at handling <laughs> things in minutia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for saying that because yeah, that's um, pretty much yeah. So in, in terms of implementation, I'm sure that it won't be as uh, as nice as it's sounding in the article. No, of course not. You know, and we could actually see that I don't know. Right. I mean, with the current system and how he's, <laughs> I don't know. It it's a lot to still have a conversation on. Uh, and once again, as we continue on in today's show, um, it is going to be. Uh, I'm, again, I'm leaving the phone lines open, so you know you could. Uh, I won't say interrupt, but please share your thoughts, yeah. your comments. Um, 
you know, it's it's a very, very, very fluid and open show. So even if we move on to another topic and you want to go back to something that you heard us comment on or talk on, um, please do so. Again, that telephone number is 651 2343 4379 651-2343-4379. Um, I, <laughs> yes, because this is a food show, you know that we're going to talk about some type of food in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, yesterday, but I'm saddened to, to think of it, actually, but yesterday we went to Big Daddy's. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if you guys know or not, but Big Daddy's is closing. Uh, and if you're not familiar with where Big Daddy's is, uh, it is located on uh, Bryce, excuse me, on University uh, Avenue. Uh, Big Daddy's Barbecue. Is that right by the Dale Station on the Green Line? Yes, okay. exactly. Sorry about that. Um, the address is 625 uh, University Avenue, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55104. Man, y'all, Big Daddy's is going to be closing. Now, okay. This came earlier this month. And I'm like, okay, I... I'm hoping that I'm wrong by saying that they're going to move somewhere, but I don't think that's the case, though, because... Like, I think the first article we heard was that they were closing. Well... When we were there last night, some... I heard uh, one of the customers talking to the... I'm assuming he's the manager who was there at the time, and they were talking... He was at... The customer was asking if they were moving. Yeah. And I couldn't really hear, but he sounded like, yeah, we... So I don't, I'm not sure what information to believe at the moment. Well, okay, so Twin Cities actually, uh, excuse me, the Twin Cities. Um, uh, Twin Cities Pioneer Press on December 5th wrote an article and talked about that, uh, stating that, you know, the owners say that development of properties in on the northwest corner of Daling University is one of the reasons or is the reason for the closure mm-hmm. for the closure um, not I don't want to say one of the reasons I'm because I'm that would be assuming but it says is the reason for the closing um, dang I mean you want to see development come along in the cities but at the same time there is you're knocking out these businesses that are just kind of like have been there for quite a long time. I mean, they've been there for over, what, 20 years? Nearly 30 years? Um, I... It's hurtful. But we're, t- we're going to talk about the food. <laughs> what was that? Uh, I, I guess it was... <laughs> hopefully nobody heard that. I mean, it wasn't anything bad. It was just music started playing. It was like, what? Um... But we're going to talk about the food. I mean, it, sad, it saddens us to hear that it is going to be closing, but uh, you gotta you got to talk about food. We want to make this a little bit encouraging and bright and light up a little bit. So my nephew, you want to talk about what you had? It was that pulled pork, wasn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. that pulled pork sandwich. It's quite good indeed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> No, no, it was really, really good. Um, I am 
a big fan of pulled pork sandwiches in in general. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say it's probably one of the best ones I've had. Good. Because I, I was like, I don't know. I, I, I never know what to think about people when they have pulled pork sandwiches. Someone else had, you know, another friend of mine had, I guess, the, the pulled pork sandwiches. Mm-hmm. They had a company thing and they had pulled pork sandwiches and they were raving over it. And I'm like, I knew that the food was good, but I, you know, trying to convince people. I mean, yeah. you, you have the conversation, fine. You're describing it. You're describing the meat that it's tender. It's this. It's not dried out. They're not really relying on the barbecue sauce, although the barbecue sauce yeah, does that's the part aid. That, that, uh, that surprised me because, right. you know, normally it's all said and done Mi- and they put it on, on the sandwich. Mixed in together. So the fact that it was just the meat and just whatever marinade they had on there already and then, you know, you have the barbecue sauce. The mm-hmm. fact that they didn't rely on it for the flavoring is... Yeah. It speaks volumes. It really does. You know, for for any place um, that, you know, if they flavored their, the meat itself well, they don't have to rely on, okay, well, you know, here's some extra sauces and mm-hmm. things like that. It's like you could kind of like eat it just by itself. And we've seen that. So, yeah. but I had... <laughs> The boatload size <laughs> uh, rib tips. I am a rib tip lover, uh, and I also had um, pork uh, ribs. You know, three pork ribs. There's something I don't know. I guess I, I'm a pork person because it's a, it's not pork yeah. belly. It's pork ribs. Or he has a problem. I family. Do. I do. Yeah, I mean. It's not like every day or, you know. He had it his way. No. Actually, no. I wouldn't. I really would not. I think I would have it at least once, maybe twice a week, you know. But, I mean, in in different things. I mean, come on, like a pork belly, a crisp pork belly, like in a sandwich. Mm -hmm. Well, a salad specifically. But I can actually just cut me off some pork belly and everything and... Give me some barbecue sauce, and and then I'm done for at least a couple of weeks or a week or two or something, <laughs> you know. But it's not like okay, well, what am I going to have tomorrow? Well, I got some pork chops up in there that might be good. <laughs> Ooh, that's that's on Wednesday. We'll have that Friday. Dang, yeah, we're going to go out and have some. That might be good. Some pho, or, or you know, I don't know. Yes, I love it. I can't help it. In this instance, it's barbecue, so I like beef too. I do. I don't. I don't. I find myself not enjoying beef ribs as much as I enjoy pork ribs. Right. But that's also because of the texture. Beef ribs yeah. are a little bit more. You can find that they might be a little bit more stringy. And this is going to sound very vain. But I, I don't like meat getting stuck in my teeth. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but yeah, it's, it does. Uh, well, I'm sorry. It, I can't help it. And beef, more so than pork, that happens. And mm. yeah, I'm a weirdo. Sorry, I can't help it. We know. We know. You're dumb. That's why. That's why they listen. Whatever. But no, I've always found that like beef ribs, or maybe it's maybe whoever was cooking it before 
wasn't handling their business. But it's just in my experience, I feel like beef ribs be wanting to they, they be friends with the bone too much. They want to hang out. <laughs> they want to hang out with the bone for too long. <laughs> Pork ribs is you know they're very independent. They're like, well, I'm cool on you, and they'll, they'll they'll just fall off the bone. They ain't even worried about it. <laughs> That's crazy. So, <clears throat> sorry about that. Um, there is, and I'm. I am excited if you all haven't probably seen. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a place called Thigh High, Thigh, ooh, Thigh Times <laughs> Birdhouse. Uh, my friend Jared Brewington is open a new place in. It's more of a food hall. It's in uh, the North Loop. Um, it's with a number of different uh, number of other places, but you know I'm going to be hopefully going to that uh, next week, and I'll be able to share a little bit more about that experience. Um, I don't know later, uh, probably next week's show, uh, because that's supposed to happen in the middle of the week. So, but yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, I just thought I'd throw that out there. I want to share about this book that I'm reading and there's a reason why I'm reading it it's called Recipes for Respect African American Meals and Meaning Um, the author is by uh, Rafia Zafar she is uh, she's involved herself in food studies Uh, talk more about the roles of contributions that black cooks have in America. And I think from what I'm reading so far, um, they've been, you know, African-Americans, of course, and for whatever reason, have been stereotyped as uh, illiterate uh, and as illiterate uh, kitchen geniuses. I want to get that right even though I'm not like really proud to say that or anything, but it's, but how it just, what's the word uh, when you're saying something positive and then negative at the same time? Cause it's a illiterate kitchen geniuses. I mean, right. really that, okay. How can mm. one be illiterate right. and still be a genius? A in the backhanded compliment. Right. Exactly. You know, but the reason why this, uh, I'm reading this um, publication is um, I don't know. I think that uh, there'll be some opportunity in the future to discuss with the author um, this information. And I've just started it, um, but there are some really important points that I've just picked up on. Um, for instance, and the reason for the book itself is. <sighs> Folks probably really don't understand about African-Americans and how they have really affected um, cooking in more ways than one. And I'm saying that not to cut off any other group because... Why are you smirking? Um, Because I know that um, Native American or indigenous folks also have a huge part as well in bringing in certain using certain spices and so mm-hmm. forth but these these you know for African Americans seem to have gotten to a, a bad rap 
you know, and okay, all the other in the kitchen or in general. Well, in, it's in for in this instance in the kitchen um, because <sighs> how do I say this without and I already told you that I have not I'm not done with the book I have just started um, because I'm hopefully going to be having a conversation with uh, the author in the next couple of weeks or so um, but how they're treated how they're how they're expected to handle themselves uh, in in this case this was an early 19th um, century and even in some instances the present day how you know they can be treated mm-hmm. um, their role in the kitchen um, how what level of legitimacy they have in the kitchen too mm-hmm. as well um, you know rather than just okay here you're just going to follow instructions here's the book you go do it you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, whereas this is already starting to give that idea of there have been some African American men and women that have pretty much set the bar for how food should either be presented, how it can be made uh, early on you know they weren't really writing recipe books or cookbooks themselves mm-hmm. but the so a lot of it was spoken word passed down well, right exactly you, know, you taught your son your yard this is how you're supposed to do it right and how this is how it's supposed to be presented you know and this is the reason why we do it uh, you know all of that so you know i'm going through and highlighting some of this stuff and uh I, i'll read you some of the what some of the chapters are from the very first chapter it talks about recipes for respect um, it asks how the earliest male chefs and authors negotiated their roles as black men in a white dominated society um, the second chapter born a slave died a chef um, you know the author she had she does investigation um, in the strategies of 19th century and 20th century african-american hospitality writers mm-hmm. so i mean already you know in the first and second chapter you're already having these huge conversations yeah, these or discussions. right exactly the definitely sets the tone right um the next one is there is probably no subject more important than the study of food um george washington carver's food movement um, they they go into the conversation or discussion of agricultural bulletins um, cultivating a, a simplified way of eating food. Um, uh, there's more on that. Uh, it, it has about seven chapters. The fourth chapter is uh, commensality and civil rights. Mm-hmm. The fourth, is, uh, the fifth, excuse me, is what the, the signifying dish, um, where there were black women authors that actually. Spoke on or, or talked about the significance of uh, African American cookery, especially in the South. Uh, another is this one. I'm going to have to do a little bit of research on because uh, Elegy, I believe that's Elegy or a Sankofa, uh, Edna Lewis's taste of country cooking and the question of genre, um, because it talks 
and argues while there are cookbooks that record different memory space, history, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also talk about loved ones or a time when we were with loved ones and expressing ourselves together through food. Um, That's perfect. Right? Um, and then the last chapter is um, the Negro cooks up his past. Um, Arturo Schomburg's uncompleted cookbook uh, and here the author um, uh, Miss Safar she says that she um, finishes the book um, by talking about bibliography uh, and specifically how um, tracing different recipes uh, for from the African or about the African continent. Um, there's so much more that I could talk about on it. I've, like I said, I've already highlighted a few things um, that I found very interesting. One of the um, very few things in the very few, very few phrases to start off with initially in the introduction was food is a field of social action. Um, an acknowledgement that societies share nutri- n- nourishment uh, with some groups and uh, withhold uh, access from others. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I think of what I would like um, the Unbuji Foodie Show to actually be like, um, mm-hmm. that is a part of it. Um, I want us to be able to have conversations uh, about societal issues and how the, the power food has right. in those societies. It, right, exactly. And you know, there we're not trying to be, you know, point fingers or anything, you know, when it comes down to the show, but um, how certain groups can be kept away from certain types of foods. You know, and maybe it to some it may seem like, well, that's not what it's meant to be like, but that's how it's coming across. Mm-hmm. Or within this, within the community, you're like, okay, how are all these other people having access to this food and we're not? Um, I was just having a conversation with a friend the other night, uh, and we were talking specifically about that. Um, the Twin Cities specifically needs to have a a cooking class that covers people of all um, economic levels. And I I very briefly uh, just going to touch on that. Um, I know we're coming nearly nearing the show end, but I think it's important to talk about. Um, There's, we have a wonderful opportunity always going to cooking classes. I mean, there's so many different cooking classes that are presented in the Twin Cities by various organizations. I'm not going to name them because it's going to make it seem like I'm pointing fingers at them and they're not they're not trying their best to present this to everyone. Mm-hmm. But I just think generally if you are going to have um, a cooking class and you want um, you want it to be for the community or communities um, it can't just be for those financially established or ones that could always pay. I'm just going to use a dollar amount out there and not, again, pointing fingers at anyone or organization. But I'm sorry, I can't really rightly say I'm going to go to a cooking class for $75 or $70 or whatever. 
you know, and I, I'm going to use that $70 to pay a bill. I mean, there are certain things that are going to be, yeah, I'm like, I, I guess I'm just going to have to miss out on that, that, that class. Mm-hmm. But then there are others that really have that opportunity to pretty much go each and every time. Every time there's a class, you know, I'm there. I'm there. You know, you go on a cooking class uh, website and it's already all gone. If you do get a chance, and this is so going to be way, because it just reminded me of what happened when I went to one. Um, I was the only person of color. And it was, maybe it was because it was, I I really enjoyed that cuisine, and maybe other African Americans don't. Or I don't know, but I, I was the only one there, which seemed kind of like okay, where people should like food and and like these type of things. But then I started to think, well, dang, I did pay a certain dollar amount, and. Maybe folks really can't afford to pay these exorbitant amounts at times. Because some places, literally, you there'll be one hundred and thirty dollars, one hundred and sixty dollars, and you're like, "What? what? What am I getting? Am I getting? I'm getting a full course meal, right? I'm getting like three courses, four courses, or something like that. And you're gonna show me how to make it. it I mean, it's gonna be fully. I'm gonna feel fulfilled. I am going to feel like I've been involved. There's a chef that really you know is caring about the community and he wants to i don't know if that's really the case i mean i do understand on the opposite side um i was having another conversation with months ago with another friend they were like well what so you do understand that there's a lot that goes into trying to create a uh, either a menu uh, you know uh, finding the venue that you're going to actually cook in these in these spaces um, supplying all the food uh, that is supposed to be uh, utilized, and you know, for the preparation and mm-hmm. the actual meal itself, because you're not just really going to just we're just going to cook it, and then everybody goes. You're going to go. You're going to cook it. You know, do the instruction, and then people are going to sit and eat and talk about, in this case, the experience. Mm-hmm. I want to see something where. It is a family, not even a family, but just maybe a, um, a husband and wife. They're like, okay, there's a cooking class uh, in the community, and it's $20 per person. I think that's fair, I suppose. And it doesn't have to be like exorbitant. It doesn't have to be this, oh, we're going to do a three-course meal for $20 mm-hmm. or something like that. Here's how you make duck a <laughs> <Like>, well, <laughs> You know, it can be some more accessible, you know, taking into account what he, your friend said in this conversation, that it does take a lot. Right. So prepare, do something that's... Um, Cost-effective. Cost-effective with that in mind so that you can keep costs low but still make it more accessible to, to as everyone. many people as you can. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the important thing. So that part, that part that I was just reading about food as a field of social action, that's where I feel that, you know, I, I'm hoping I want to invite folks to comment and have their, their voices heard in regards to that. So, again... Sh- I didn't mention it before, but I'm saying I'm hoping that chefs would feel the same way. If there's an organization out there that is interested in maybe having something like that, um, 
I mean, let us know. Um, feel free to get in contact with me. I mean, let the radio station know. Or just, if you'd like, drop me a line at theunbougiefoodie at gmail.com. And I will be more than happy to, you know, have a discussion with you. Maybe even pass it on to the radio station or to maybe an, uh, another organization that is looking to also partner with um, another maybe food organization or maybe even a kitchen so that they could have something like that. You never know. It could be, you know, this week or maybe this month, we're going to talk about um, Caribbean food or, you know, we'll, you know, for this class, we're going to focus on how to do oxtail, mm-hmm. you know, and rice and beans. I mean, those are like two items or two dishes when i'm saying rice and beans i'm not talking about like rice and beans it's rice and beans rice and peas as some folks might say depending upon what uh area what you didn't let me finish what area of the caribbean that you live in i mean some folks trinidad and tobago uh you know they say one thing jamaicans say another you know for us belizeans say just rice and beans you know or you know and then if you say stew beans and rice, we that's know, different. right, it's totally different. Stew beans is, that's why I said, you know, I specifically said rice and beans. Stew beans is, the beans are totally separate, and you have maybe coconut rice, totally separate, two separate pots, not together, you know, and I, I'm not, I, I guess I, we probably have had oxtail that way, but I'm so used to having it, rice and beans, and then the oxtail, mm-hmm. you know, where, gosh, you put that nice two or three pieces of oxtail on you know a bed of rice and beans and then you put that uh, uh, gravy over top of it yes stop wiping your mouth you're mm-hmm. slobbering I know <laughs> you're, you're describing it in too much detail I ain't had breakfast yet <laughs> anyway um, but again I, I, I'm getting away from that but and I, I really feel that it can be something like that where mm-hmm. you know there is um, a kitchen somewhere and then they bring in a, sh- a chef uh, or someone that is interested in teaching that class mm-hmm. and saying okay for the month of January we're going to focus on such and such month of February we're going to focus on and it could be different chefs I mean from different organizations I mean it would just if they could take two hours maybe out of their their busy schedule I know folks are, are busy but um, if you uh, this is addressing it to more so to the community uh, and to any chefs that are out there. If you're truly interested in kind of like engaging with the community and finding out more about your community too, uh, feel free to get in contact with you know WEQY 104.7 um, FM, um, either the station manager, the organization itself, or you could contact uh, myself, Neon Bougie Foodie, and we'll you know have that discussion maybe strategize something that will give us the opportunity to create a program where once a month for you know 2 hours you could teach a class on mm-hmm. your cuisine or maybe what your cult um the cuisine behind your culture is um it would be wonderful uh to let people experience maybe a different cuisine that they've had from a different culture. I know for myself going to, uh, having, it was, um, doing, um, curry with, um, chef. I always talk about chef, um, Yvang. but I remember I went to a cooking class and 
I'm I'm not Hmong, you know that. But I really enjoy trying new foods and trying a different cuisine. And I think when understanding maybe a person's understanding a person's culture, food background or whatever, you get to understand them more. Mm-hmm. I mean, we Definitely. are we are so within a community of different races and uh, cultures um, and considering the type of atmosphere that we live in and people are, seem to be at each other's throats or whatever. <laughs> I... I'm not. I'm not trying to have this like utopian world and make it seem like we're living in this fantasy world. That's not what I'm trying to say or trying to express. I'm just saying that having these type of experiences will get people to understand about another person's culture, why they probably came to the United States, understanding their uh, their food, or you've driven past so many different restaurants within your community, and you're like, I wonder what's that, what that's like, mm-hmm. you know without having to feel that you have to spend a whole lot of money to find out about somebody's culture or, uh, you know, a, a cuisine. Mm-hmm. You can simply start by going to a cooking class and say, yeah, I want to find out about that. You know, I know Chef Yia Vang, and I, I'm quite sure I, we've talked, we sat and talked with her. Chef Jametta Raspberry, House of Gristle. I mean, she has her own stories behind, you know, what food means to her and she could share that with you um, I'm not name dropping but I'm just using people as an example and ones that we've already communicated with that you know they they're great storytellers I mean and what better way to be able to reach out and bond with your community than to be able to tell a great story tell a story behind a meal or a cuisine mm-hmm. it's like awesome right that's like the best time oh man i'm telling you this time has gone by so quickly but i really am glad that we oh, we're up already we're, we're done dude i'm telling you <laughs> right um we'll be back next week we will be back with next week with a really uh additional fresh uh i topics to talk about more about food Today just was just I really needed to talk about that whole food stamp thing. Yeah, you know it was kind of it was on my mind and my heart. Um, I want to apologize again for last week, but we are going to get that rescheduled. So please listen for the future. We'll get that rescheduled. Yeah, follow, follow us on Facebook. We'll have announcements up there as well. Exactly. So thank you again for listening to the Unbuji Foodie for myself Wesley Wright and for my um, nephew RJ. Until next time, (laughs) peace. Peace. Sit on down with the unbougie food day.